I'm glad you are here. And I hope you have your Bibles. And if you do, please turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 8. It's, uh, we praised him in song, and now we worship him in the reading of his word. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. When we hear the word of God preached, it is God speaking to us. His word is a living word that reveals the living God. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambitions, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray together. Father, we do rejoice in the proclamation of Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he has done. It is our hope. It is the hope of the world It is the center of our faith, and it's the wellspring of our love. And Father, we can't control the circumstances around us, but we can find contentment, confidence, and peace in your Son being lifted up and exalted. And that's what we pray for this service, for our lives, and for the rest of the week, that you would be exalted through your Son. And so now, open our hearts. Let us be hearers, but also doers, and also lovers, as we submit ourselves and yield our hearts to the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Joy in the journey. That's the name of our series. We are continuing this morning through the book of Philippians. In fact, we are journeying through that book, and hopefully we are learning. We are being encouraged about our own joy in the journey. And so with that in mind, I throw out this question to you. What does it take to steal your joy? What does it take to steal your joy in your journey? One pastor said, spiritual maturity can be measured by what steals your joy. So again, I ask the question, what does it take to steal your joy in your journey? Now, this is a a pretty important question because, as you know, things do not always go the way we want in our lives. And so we need the right perspective to deal with those unfavorable, even difficult, suffering circumstances that come around us. In other words, problems are inevitable, 
Therefore, perspective is essential. And that's what Paul shows us in this next section here of Philippians chapter 1. Here in verses 12 through 18, Paul shows us how to maintain joy in the journey, but to do so with the right perspective. Paul writes in verse 12, he starts out with these words, I want you to know. In other words, there is something here that Paul wants us to know. He wants us to know something. He's getting ready to communicate it to us. It's important. It's critical to your joy in the journey. He's getting ready to let us know something about his own joy in his own journey. He's getting ready to tell us about how he maintains his joy in journey. And so we ought to pay attention. We ought to tune in. I want you to know. So what is it that Paul wants you to know? Well, this is the main idea we're going to see this morning. We can maintain joy in the journey by staying focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul wants you to know. Now remember, where is Paul writing this letter from? He's in prison. He's a prisoner in Rome, and yet he's able to rejoice. Now, these are not the best conditions he's ever been in. This is not the happiest place to be for Paul. Paul is physically chained to a Roman guard, and his ministry is severely restricted. And yet Paul is full of joy, and he essentially tells us, I rejoice, you should rejoice. So Paul is a prisoner, and he's saying rejoice. Now, either he's a nutcase who's been beat up one too many times on his missionary journeys, or he's lying through his teeth, or he's on to something here, and we need to find out what it is that makes him so joyful in the midst of these circumstances like prison. An article in Psychology Today stated, people are unhappy because they view their lives as prisons. Many people feel trapped by aspects of their life trapped in an unhappy relationship, or trapped in an unfulfilling job, or they are generally unhappy with their life despite basic needs being met. So don't you find it interesting, just a little bit, that Paul is in prison, but he's not licking his wounds. He's not sending out invitations to a pity party. He's not ranting on Facebook about how unfair life is. Instead, he is what? He's full of joy. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me just scream out with a question. How? How in the world is that possible? How could Paul maintain such joy in the face of such difficulty? Paul wants us to know that the key to maintaining joy in the journey is staying focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, this gospel perspective, Paul's going to tell us, makes all the difference in the world. For Paul, notice this in your notes, anytime, anywhere Christ is proclaimed and the gospel is advanced, it's a reason to rejoice. Look what Paul declares at the end of the section here in verse 18. Actually, it's not the end of the section. Verse 18 is actually a transition verse from what we're looking at today and what we will look at next Sunday. But verse 18, he declares, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I what? What does he say? What, what? I I can't hear that. Rejoice! In that I rejoice! 
Now listen, this is the bottom line for Paul. His passion in life is that Christ is proclaimed and the gospel advances. Paul doesn't care about his own life or even the things of this world. All he cares about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's a man, if you can imagine this, in prison, who wears gospel goggles and lives a gospel-driven life. And that changes his perspective on everything, including his imprisonment. The question that Paul asks is not, is what's happening to me fair or not? Rather, he poses the question, is what's happening to me accomplishing something for the kingdom of God? Is it being used to proclaim Christ and advance the gospel? And so from Paul's perspective, anytime, anywhere, Christ is proclaimed and the gospel is advanced, advanced, it's a reason to rejoice. Now, what does this all mean for us today, for you? For myself today. How do we apply this? How do we take what Paul is sharing with us, what he wants us to know about this gospel perspective, how does this apply to our lives today? Well, I want to throw it out in two, two principles, two truths, two applicational points, however you want to term it. Number one is this. With a gospel perspective, we can rejoice that the gospel advances through difficult circumstances. That's number one. Rejoice that the gospel advances through difficult circumstances. Notice again what Paul writes in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, what has happened to Paul? Well, let me tell you, an awful lot has happened to Paul in the last few years since he was last in the city of Jerusalem, including a riot, including being beaten almost to death by Jews, a Roman scourging, a two-year imprisonment in Caesarea, a shipwreck on the way to Rome, and now his house arrest where he is chained to a Roman guard awaiting his verdict or his trial before Caesar. But notice what he says about all that has happened to him. Nothing. He could have written a whole book on what has happened to him and everything bad that has happened to him. Instead, Paul says one thing about what has happened to him. It has really served to advance the gospel, period. That's all he says. In other words, Paul is saying, don't feel sorry for me. No, 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 please don't. God is using my imprisonment, my difficult circumstances to advance the gospel. That's what counts. That's all that matters. As one author remarks, for Paul, the goal of the gospel's advance overrides all else in his life. Paul puts all his circumstances in this gospel perspective. The only thing he cared about was the gospel advancing. Instead of talking about how he was doing, he wanted to talk about how the gospel was doing. And so Paul rejoiced in that because the chains that actually bound Paul are releasing the gospel. And so you could say that Paul is now turning his cell into a celebration for the gospel. And what we are seeing in the midst of this, Paul is sharing it with us. He wants us to see it. He wants us to know. And we are seeing that recorded in God's word is this. We are seeing Paul's passion, his heartbeat for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And notice it in your notes. The advancement of the gospel was way more important to Paul than his own comfort or freedom. 
Now, the key term in this section of verses is the word advance. Some of your Bible translations may say furtherance. I like the word advance better in the English Standard Version that we have here. It's a military term that was used to describe an army that is advancing into new territory. But there are obstacles in the way. And so it advances only by removing trees and building roads in order to make a way through and move forward. And Paul says his imprisonment, literally his chains, have caused the gospel to advance or to move forward. In other words, Paul saw his circumstances as new opportunities for the gospel to advance instead of as an opportunity to complain and even doubt the plans of God in his life. Therefore, Paul wasn't preoccupied with his circumstances. He was more concerned about the gospel advancing than his own comfort or his own freedom. In fact, Paul rejoices for two reasons, that the gospel advances on two different fronts. He, he, he then names these fronts for us. He tells us about them. First of all, he tells us that people outside the Christian community, that is, they're, they're not believers yet. They heard the gospel through Paul's imprisonment. These people heard. Paul writes in verse 13, look at it. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard into all the rest that my imprisonment is for what? Is for Christ. Now, this, this imperial guard, it was an elite group of about 9,000 soldiers who were selected based upon their military skill, and they were then assigned to serve as the emperor's security force in the imperial palace. And one of these soldiers is chained to Paul, what most commentators think, in about six-hour shifts, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And what do you think it was like being chained to Paul for six hours a day? Can you imagine that? Under house arrest. What do you think Paul talked about most? You got it. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? That's his heart. That's his passion. And so that's what he's going to talk about most with these imperial elite Roman soldiers. Talk about a captive audience Paul has. You got it. In fact, one author describes what it might have been like when he writes this. At times, the hired room would be thronged with people to whom the apostle spoke words of life. That's the gospel. And after they withdrew, the guard would sit beside Paul, filled with many questions as to the meaning of the words the strained prisoner spoke. At other times, especially at night, the soldiers and the apostle would be left to talk. And in those dark, lonely hours, the apostle would tell soldier after soldier about his own proud career in early life as a Pharisee, of his opposition to Christ, his ultimate conversion, and would make it clear that he was there as a prisoner, not for any crime, not because he raised a rebellion or a revolt, but because he believed that Jesus was the Son of God and the Savior of men. Now, what do you think might be the result of all these soldiers being chained to Paul as he shares with them about his own personal testimony of coming to Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you got it. Some of them, not all of them, but some of them came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. 
In fact, we know that to be a fact because at the very end of this letter, Paul writes almost tongue-in-cheek in Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Isn't that great? Some of these soldiers, these elite soldiers who were unreachable got reached by the power of the gospel. And there's only one way that could happen, through Paul's chains. And so Paul's imprisonment furthered the plan for the gospel with these Roman soldiers. Now, don't miss this principle here. The longest period of Paul's imprisonment was the greatest period of Paul's impact for the advancing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul's confinement was actually God's assignment for his life. That prison actually became Paul's pulpit for proclaiming the gospel. It became his desk for writing numerous books that we have in our scripture today. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon were all written during this time period. Paul knew that he had been placed in these difficult circumstances by God himself. In fact, in verse 16, Paul says, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And that phrase, put here, it means to be appointed. Paul viewed this imprisonment as God's plan for his life for the purpose of advancing the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but that is very counterintuitive to how most of us think, especially when it comes to suffering, trials, difficulty of our circumstances, right? We don't tend to think that adversity actually leads to opportunity for the gospel, but that was Paul's perspective. Now, I I realize that today here none of us are in chains. That is literal chains. I don't remember seeing any of you come in with a ball and chain. Um, But you may feel like you're in chains at times. Trapped in a situation you don't like. Perhaps trapped in a job you don't enjoy. Maybe trapped even in a difficult marriage or a home situation. Trapped by health issues or trapped by a lack of finances. And yet, those difficult circumstances in your life are the circumstances in which God has put you in, appointed you for the purpose of the gospel. And so like Paul, see it as an opportunity to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about when we say gospel perspective. That's the key to maintaining joy in your journey. But notice, the gospel advances on another front, Paul tells us. People inside the Christian community, that is believers in Christ, Brothers and sisters in Christ spoke the gospel with more boldness. Paul says in verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are now much more bold to speak the word without fear. The word, that is the gospel, Jesus Christ. You know what this tells me? It tells me that perhaps at the beginning, the Christians here in Rome were just a little scared to say anything about Jesus Christ. They were afraid, and understandably so. After all, Paul ended up in jail for what? For speaking about Jesus, for standing up for his faith, and they could too. But now watching Paul and hearing about Paul's courage 
to share the gospel while in prison, it brought boldness among the Christians in Rome to now speak the gospel as well. Rather than lying low and hiding in fear, these believers felt inspired by Paul's courage. And consequently, they started speaking boldly about Jesus. It's it's almost as if they started thinking, hey, if Paul can share Christ and he's in prison, then surely I can share Christ here in Rome and I'm not in prison. I'm free. So in a real way, Paul's captivity is setting people free from fear. Free to put their own lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. They are fearlessly risking reputation, even personal safety, to make the message of Christ known. This happened after Jim Elliott was killed sharing the gospel with the Aka Indians in the jungles of Ecuador. There was somewhat of a revival on the campus of Wheaton College where he attended, and a renewed zeal a renewed zeal for missions after hearing of the fate of Jim Elliott and his four companions. In other words, what they heard about Jim and what his companions did, it inspired them. It gave them courage. And listen, your courage to share Christ in the midst of your difficult circumstances will inspire others to do the same as well. So Paul takes the gospel perspective in his situation. He understands that God is working in his life. He understands that God was using his imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. And because of this gospel perspective, he wasn't freaking out. He was actually rejoicing that the gospel advances through his difficult circumstances. In fact, what's interesting, the gospel doesn't just advance despite or in spite of his difficult circumstances, Paul actually makes it clear that the gospel advances through those difficult circumstances. Which brings us to point number two. Rejoice that the gospel advances through jealous critics. Through jealous critics. Now, it is rather strange for a prisoner to celebrate in a cell when the gospel advances through his difficult circumstances of imprisonment. But it is totally unexpected when that same prisoner rejoices when the gospel advances through his jealous critics. But that's exactly what Paul does. Look what Paul writes in verses 15 through 17. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So what you have here are basically two groups of people, two groups of evangelists, preachers, whatever you want to call them, who are advancing the gospel, and they're doing so through the proclamation or the preaching of Jesus Christ. Except one group are critics or rivals of Paul, while the other group are allies with Paul, or friends of Paul. And yet, Paul is stating that the gospel advances through both of these groups of people. Notice the first group, where Paul tells us that some preached Christ, but they did so with impure motives. They preached Christ with impure motives. And this, this would be Paul's critics, or his rivals. 
These rivals look at Paul's imprisonment as an occasion now to actually tear him down, to stir up trouble for him, and even to elevate their ministries over Paul's. Can you believe this? I mean, what in the world is going on here? I mean, as if it's not bad enough that Paul is in prison, but now there are some preachers, those who claim to follow Christ, who are hoping to rub salt in his wounds. And Paul says these rivals preach Christ, quote, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. In other words, they're hoping to hurt Paul somehow by stirring up some inward annoyance or even some trouble of spirit while he's in prison. You might ask, well, man, who are these guys? Who are these rivals, these critics? Well, we don't know exactly who they are. We must recognize that they are not false teachers. But they are selfish teachers. In fact, Paul is very clear that these teachers or preachers indeed preach Christ. That is, they preach a true gospel. But they do so from envy and from rivalry and even out of their own selfish ambition. In this phrase, selfish ambition, it was used to describe a a selfish worker who's interested only in his own pay. Some of you probably have some co-workers like that, right? All they care about is checking in, checking out, and doing their job, and they won't help anybody else do theirs. Know some of those people? You work with some of them? They're selfish to the core. It also refers to uh, a politician who's seeking office only for his own fame and power. I need not say any more in this election cycle, right? In the same vein, with Paul in prison, there is now a perceived vacancy, and these preachers are all now seeking to be the top dog in the city of Rome. As one author writes, they are petty, They're territorial, they're calculating, and focused on self-promotion. They aren't anti-Christ, they're just anti-Paul. And so that's one group. They preach Christ, but they do so with impure motives. But there's another group, and they preach Christ with pure motives. And obviously, they're Paul's friends or Paul's allies. And thankfully, Paul could fall back on this group, who proclaimed the gospel, Paul says, from goodwill. And out of love, these preachers recognized that God had actually placed Paul exactly where he wanted him. And so they knew that God had assigned Paul to his chains and that his captivity was part of his defense of the gospel. And so they were motivated to preach Christ out of love, first and foremost for God, but also motivated out of love for Paul. They were seeking now to continue his mission of advancing the gospel. Now, what I want to do is just stop right here for a moment and make application for us who are here this morning, and especially those of us who serve in ministry. And so here's a word of caution when it comes to serving in ministry. This is not in your notes, not coming up on the screen, so if you want to jot it down, you're welcome to. Number one is beware of jealousy and envy in ministry. Listen, while every Christian will be tempted with these particular sins, they are particularly active in those who serve in ministry. So be alert to the presence of such temptations like jealousy and envy. 
Ask yourself, am I constantly comparing myself with others in ministry? Do I rejoice when others succeed in ministry? Or do I get jealous? Do I resent it when someone on a ministry team is praised? And Paul shows us that the way to overcome jealousy and envy is by caring more about Jesus' glory than your own glory. So first caution is to beware of jealousy and envy in ministry. The second caution says, be aware of the temptation to promote yourself in ministry. Listen, serving Jesus out of selfish ambition is a very warped motivation. And yet, it's a temptation that we must be alert to in our own hearts. One pastor and author put it this way. How sad it is to compete with others who are actually on the same team. How sad it is when we serve with selfish ambition while the heart of our message is about a Savior who emptied himself for sinners. And again, the way to guard against this temptation is by caring for the glory of Jesus more than your own. As Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and I'm paraphrasing, make it your ambition in life to make Christ known, not yourself. So how does Paul now respond to his critics or rivals? Well, it, 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 it should blow you away because it's really quite remarkable how he responds. And while, listen, while he does not excuse their impure motives, because after all, motives are important, right? And so Paul does not excuse their impure motives. But instead, how Paul responds is by focusing on the much bigger purpose, the bigger mission. Look what Paul says in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. That phrase, what then? It means, what do I say about that? Or even, so what? We're more familiar with that phrase. So what? Somebody brings something to your attention, so what? That's what Paul essentially is saying. All I know is the gospel is being proclaimed and that thrills my heart. So what if their motives are wrong? Their message is right and in this I rejoice. And once again, we see Paul's passion for the gospel here. Notice this in your notes. The message of the gospel was way more important to Paul than the motives of the messengers. You see, what matters most to Paul is the gospel. True, some were preaching the gospel with sinful motives. That is true, but still, the gospel was being proclaimed. Paul could rejoice in this and do so without condoning the twisted motives of these preachers. Because his ultimate desire was to see Christ proclaimed in the gospel advance. And I love the way Charles Swindoll paraphrases these verses. He says, so what if some preach with wrong motives? Furthermore, some may be overly impressed with themselves and take unfair shots at me. Who cares? What really matters is this. Christ is being proclaimed and that thought alone intensifies my joy. All other stuff I leave to God to handle. Now, that doesn't mean 
that in our church here, if we had somebody teaching or proclaiming Christ with impure motives, we wouldn't deal with it. What, what it means is Paul's not responsible for those preachers outside of his flock, if you will. God will handle them. God, let it, let, let it alone. The gospel's being proclaimed. You see, for Paul, the message of the gospel mattered more than the messengers. Paul knows that his whole mission of advancing the gospel is not about his freedom. It's not about his freedom to either move around in freedom or to minister or his personal comfort or even his influence as an apostle. It is all about Jesus Christ, the grace that he displays, the glory that he deserves. And did you notice that in every verse of this text, Paul mentions either Christ or the gospel in every verse. Do you think that's by accident? Just, wow, Paul, after he writes it, oh, wow, look at that. I didn't realize I put Christ or the gospel in every... No, this is, this is intentional. Paul knows that the key to maintaining joy in the journey is staying focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the reason Paul could rejoice when the gospel advanced through his own difficult circumstances and his jealous critics. Yes, Paul rejoices in the advance of the gospel. In fact, for Paul, anytime, anywhere the gospel advances, it's a reason to what? That was pathetic. Anytime, anywhere, the gospel advances, it's a reason to rejoice. But don't miss the source of our joy. It's Jesus Christ. It's still Jesus Christ. Listen, the Christ, who is the center of Paul's message, has also become the very center of Paul's life. Is that true of you? Jesus is the source of Paul's joy in the journey, even in the face of difficult circumstances and jealous critics. Here's the deal. Listen to me. Life as we know it will have its ups and downs, will it not? Life is a roller coaster. There will be times when we feel chained by the circumstances of life and even attacked by critics in life. But if Jesus is the center of your life, and if the gospel is first in your life, then you will be able to say with Paul, so what? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that your passion is the gospel. And we know this because you love the world so much that you sent your son so that we could be rescued from our sins and have eternal life. And so, Father, help us to see that we can maintain our joy by staying focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to see our present circumstances as a platform for sharing the hope that is found in Christ alone. And may we rejoice anytime, anywhere the gospel advances. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we dismiss here, I want to...
to give you just a couple of announcements in relation to the life of our church. And one is, our church uh, has the opportunity to host a conference uh, called For the Church Conference. It's a virtual conference due to COVID. It's a conference that is sponsored by Midwestern uh, Theological Seminary and Spurgeon College right down the road here. And uh, it's a conference that I've gone to for the last six or seven years since day one they've had it. And by far and away, it's one of the best conferences I've ever attended. And I always look forward to this conference every year. And now that it's a virtual conference, uh, that means we have the opportunity to host it and make it available to you as a church family. And that's exactly what we want to do. And uh, this year they have added on a pre-conference for women only. And that is uh, Monday on September the 28th from 9 to 3 p.m. And so we'll host that down in a multi-purpose room. Uh, Lunch included with that, maybe even a light breakfast as well. And uh, the cost is $20 for you ladies. And you can uh, register and pay on our church website. Just go to our website, wearelifebridge.com, and you'll find all the information there. And then the conference continues, the general conference, which is really open to both men and women. And all of you are welcome to attend this one as well. It begins that Monday afternoon, right after the women's conference at 3 p.m. till 10 p.m., continues the next day on Tuesday from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. And the cost is $40 to register for that conference. And our church will provide all the food. Uh, Dinner on Monday night, light breakfast on Tuesday, and lunch as well on Tuesday. And include some conference materials. And so if you're able to take off work and come and be a part of it, uh, you would benefit. It's it's not just for, quote, pastors like myself. I promise you uh, each person would benefit in some way. It's, It's a really, it's a great conference. Jeremy is shaking his head. I think you've attended it before. And uh, some of our other guys have as well. And, uh, and so take notice of that. All the information is on our church website. And then I, I, I'm just thrilled that we're able to uh, start up our kids' ministries, even in the midst of this you know, virus that we're in still, even in the midst of two services and while we're still under strict social distancing guidelines and everything. We're going forward, and we are starting up our kids' ministries, uh, at least some of them. And, uh, and so our WANA clubs is going to be starting up, minus the Cubbies, no Cubbies, um, on se- Wednesday, September the 9th, and they will start up. And then we're also starting back up our Promise Kids and Kingdom Kids on Sunday, September 13th, during the 11 o'clock worship service. And so during that service, we will have our nursery available, uh, Promise Kids available, and Kingdom Kids available during the 11 a.m. service. And so if you have kids that you've been bringing to this hour, they're more than welcome to keep coming to this hour. Ella, you can still keep coming and hear me preach, okay? All right? Or if you can talk your mom and dad into bringing you to the 11 o'clock service, you can go to Kingdom Kids. So totally up to you. It's an option. I wish we could offer it for both services, but just it's not possible with personnel limitations and everything. And so those are two things coming up. And then as you guys know, Two weeks ago, we took time to pray for all of our teachers and those who staff, who work in relation to our schools, and uh, because they've been in meetings for the last two weeks, a lot of them, and getting ready to prepare for this, really, a very unique school year. And uh, so we just, we took time to pray for them. And today, I want us to take time to pray for our students. Uh, Our students are getting ready to start school. Some of them will start this week. Most of them will start the Tuesday after Labor Day, September the 8th. 
And so I've asked Sarah Warner if she would come and just pray on behalf of our students, and then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you, and I just want to thank you again for the opportunity to be together today and worship together, to sing praise to you, to open your word and be taught so carefully. And we just thank you so much for that. And I just, we just want to take time and and pray over our students. Um, This is such a strange year, Lord, but we just, we know that you're completely 100% in control as you always have been and as you always will be. And I just ask that our students would just walk forward in confidence, not in themselves or in protection or any of those things, but in you. And that ultimately you are the one who has always been protecting them and safeguarding them. And Father, we just ask that um, just give them wisdom, help them to submit to the guidelines and procedures that are in place and to do so gladly, not just for themselves, but for the protection of others too. And and mostly, Lord, we just want to pray more than anything for the condition of their hearts. And um, we just ask that as they go and they try to walk amongst people who don't know you, and as they try to share the truth um, these days, that is being met with a lot of opposition. And I know of kids in our youth group already who have been um, bullied and who are just getting tormented by other kids because they've just had the courage to share the truth, just the simple truth, which goes so against our current culture. And Father, I just ask that you continue to give them boldness to speak the truth of the gospel and that you comfort them when they are bullied and treated poorly by their classmates and help them to just keep loving. And we know that you can do that because you give them your Holy Spirit. So we just thank you again for each one of our teens. Help us to remember as a church to be praying continually for them. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.